0: Entertainment.
1: The journey to the draft is driven by Triple A. Triple A, roadside is their strong side. Make Triple A a part of your game day today. Triple A, go ahead.
0: With the 25th pick in the NFL Draft, the Philadelphia Eagles select.
2: You're listening to the Journey to the Draft podcast, driven by Triple A.
1: Welcome to the Journey of the Draft podcast, driven by AAA. I'm your host, Fran Duffy, and we've got another big week of college football action to recap here on the show. The SEC back on the field this week, which was great to see. It felt like a normal Saturday afternoon. Pac-12 on the horizon. Hopefully we'll get our Saturday late nights uh, back here. We'll have some late Saturday night uh, Pack 12 after dark which would be great to be able to watch if you are a college football fan. Uh, you certainly feel what I'm feeling about that. We're going to start things off here this week with Saturday Scouting. Myself, Ben Fennel, Dane Brugler, we're going to get our reactions from what we saw on Saturday afternoon and Saturday evening. How that will all impact the NFL draft. We'll talk all through that in Saturday Scouting. After that, on the clock, Chris McPherson is going to come back for the show. Again, he will certainly serve as judge and jury for our uh, big debate segment with Ben, Dane and I. Top of the this week, who is the top pass rusher in this draft? We'll talk all about that in On the Clock and after that, we've got a question from you at home in our Draft Mailbag segment. But before we get the show started, quick reminder If you can go on to Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, throw us your support. This is the best way to do it. Go on to one of those platforms wherever you listen. Leave us a rating. Leave us a comment. If you leave us a question, we'll answer it here on the show. I promise. It's as good as gold. I will always answer your questions here on the show. If you've got a mock draft, we will cover it here uh, as well. Just go on. Leave that rating. Leave that comment. That being said, let's get things started here. It's time for Saturday Scouting. It's time for Saturday Scouting. All right, well, let's get things going here on Saturday scouting. As I welcome in both Ben Fennel and Dane Brugler back to the show, guys, uh, we got some uh, you know SEC football this weekend. It was a lot of fun, a little bit more of a full slate of college football. We also got the news that the Pac twelve on the way back, the MAC on the way back, just great news uh, all around. And, and last week we talked about who are the players that we're excited to seek from the Big Ten. We're not going to necessarily go through that with the Pac twelve and the MAC, but just great to hear that college football, you know, to getting closer and closer to being all systems go across the country, Dan.
2: This past Saturday felt a little bit more like college football Saturday uh, with the SEC back. And then it's only going to uh, ramp up even more when we get the big 10 and then the PAC 12 and the Mac. And it's going to make for some interesting uh, debates. when we talk about the college football playoff and each of these teams and conferences having different resumes and things like that. But you know, uh, we don't know how long, how many games each these teams are going to play, but we're getting something. And that's something to be thankful for when, you know, not too long ago, we weren't sure if we're going to see any college football this fall. So I was very thankful for what we saw this past uh, Saturday and for whatever we get the rest of the fall, because it's going to be more tape to watch, another opportunity to see these players. And, you know, with the SEC back, certainly uh, a lot more prospects worth uh, checking out and seeing if they got any better this year.
0: You know, now that we have one weekend under our belt of the SEC play, how do you guys feel about the SEC conference only schedule? we're not going to have those random Mercer or, you know, Citadel games mixed in there. I know every now and then they like to schedule a non-conference, even November late in the season. I always find those highlights on the melts I have to use for their <laughs> draft coverage, XOs, uh, love Scene, you know, Charleston Southern, you know, and those types of teams. How do you guys feel about the conference only matchups.
1: Well, I'll tell you this. I mean, the big thing that I saw over the weekend was that Nick Saban came out. uh, Obviously the head coach, of Alabama said that he is in favor of the 10 game sec schedule being a permanent fixture. If he says that, that is, that's big. That's a, that carries a lot of weight uh, moving forward. So hopefully, I mean, I want to speak for both of you guys. Hopefully that carries because that would be that'd be awesome for all of us.
0: I feel like it's a little bit of a clearer picture of the prospects in the evaluation model. You don't have those kind of throwaway games and the barn burner games that are right. paychecks for the smaller schools. I think it just paints a slightly more focused kind of evaluation on some of these players. I mean, who's voting against it is my question. You know, like, who doesn't want to
2: see – you know, with these good against good and seeing a, a conference go up against uh, the other heavyweights, because you know, I'm tired of not being able to see some of these crossover games East versus the West uh, for all these years. You know, let's see more conference games. Let's see these guys, uh, you know, beat each other up and get a better chance to evaluate these players.
1: Yeah, and I think, too, that, you know, we'll see what they do with those out-of-conference games. But if you can say, all right, we'll carry uh, one, you know, one cupcake along with one solid uh, out-of-conference, you know, and I feel like there are a lot of schools that continue to do that, that would be a great formula moving forward so certainly some big news there from the SEC I thought that was good thanks for pointing that out Ben as far as opt-out news one big player over the weekend uh, a player that we've talked about here on the show uh, during our Pac-12 preview and that's Oregon safety Javon Holland Ben I'll go to you first Uh, thoughts on the news that Javon Holland the very productive player uh, over the last couple of years for Oregon uh, only a sophomore last year obviously going into his junior season but we have seen the last of Javon Holland uh, in Eugene what are your thoughts on him declaring for the draft?
0: Uh, Just collectively, I'm kind of okay with it because Oregon was so deep at defensive back, tons of seniors, up and coming young kids, Mikel Wright at corner. There just wasn't enough snaps to go around. Uh, So, you know, with uh, Thomas Graham, I think declaring and uh, Lenore and now Holland, I thought they put enough on tape, you know, to evaluate, know what they are know where they are in the draft and, you know, kind of move on with their careers. Verone McKinley. That's the name to watch. I, Cause I feel like he's
2: the
1: guy that's going to step into that. was a free safety last year. Yeah. Yep. And I think he's got that same skill set that Holland has. He's the guy that I'm most excited to see, Dan. Well,
2: and I was kind of the opposite. I was, I wanted to see more of Holland just because I'm not convinced what type of athlete he is. Um, I think he's a good athlete, but is he a great athlete? That's where I'm just not sure yet. I think he's a very smart player. I think he's quick to read, react and, quick to diagnose uh, but this is a player who I just I don't know I, I really am not I, I don't feel great about the athleticism and can he be truly because he plays a lot of nickel for the Ducks can he truly be a nickel at the next level where he's going to be asked to cover in the slot and he can be uh, held accountable man-to-man and things like that so uh, the lack of elite athletic traits is something that kind of bothers me and you don't have to have elite athletic traits at the safety position, but you can't be just average either. I think you have to be, uh, you know, somewhere in the good area. And I'm just, I'm not convinced that he is there. That was my problem with over, over the summer. And it's kind of weird how the PAC 12, you know, they announced they're coming back and it's kind of like the opposite. We're not seeing a lot of opt-ins. No, that's true. Uh, you know, we're, we're seeing guys, more guys opt out. Where the Big Ten, they come back and we see almost everyone except for a few, Micah Parsons, try to opt back in. So it's just very interesting to see the different dynamic from uh, one conference to another.
0: And just spinning it back to Oregon, I was chatting with a Oregon buddy over the summer trying to get a lay of the land of the pecking order of that defensive back room. And he's like, "Oh yeah, the uh, the real up and comer is going to be this Bennett Williams transfer from Illinois. Like, who is Bennett Williams? Another defensive back out there, another veteran presence in that secondary. Very, very deep back there.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And see, I, I'm interested that you that you brought that up with Holland, uh, Dan, because I actually I liked his athleticism. I was worried about like the eye discipline and coverage. Like he did give up some big plays. Yeah. I just felt like it was more from a mental side as opposed to a physical side. He's an interesting player now. Now that we know, like he's played his last down of college football." I'm going to dig in a little bit deeper and watch a little bit more of the 2019 film and, you know, kind of put a final stamp on the evaluation because we've seen what we're going to see, uh, you know, from Javon Holland. All right, guys, let's get to this past weekend in college football. We mentioned lots of SEC action. Who gets the game ball? Uh, Ben, I'll start with you this time. Who gets your game ball here as the standout player from the weekend and the games that you watched?
0: Oh, guys, there are so many big time performances, particularly in the SEC and particularly at receiver. It's really tough to choose whether it was Elijah Moore or maybe Shai Smith or Osiris Mitchell. I'm going to go with Jalen Waddell, putting up eight for 134 and two touchdowns in a variety of ways as well. I love the touchdown tracking through double coverage, great ball down the field, adjusting to an underthrown ball and going up and making a big play and taking a hit. And then just the horizontal speed, the crossing route touchdown, very similar to Tyreek Hill's touchdown, I think in week one, going from left to right in a pure foot race to the sideline, kind of that horizontal speed as well. So there's a lot of questions heading into this year about Jalen Waddle and his acclimate being a true receiver and his ability to run routes and had to play behind the trio last year. I know Dane thinks very highly of him, has him as wide receiver two, way ahead of his teammate Devontae Smith, who I think he had wide receiver five or six at the moment. But Jalen Waddle looks like he's off to a really good start.
1: Ben, what did you think of Mac uh, Mac Jones.
0: Mac Jones did what Mac Jones does. Wasn't yeah. flashy. Wasn't sexy. Just distributes the ball to these playmakers manages the game really well. A lot of really good uh, ball handling in the backfield with some play action aspects, really good, allowing the defense to suck up on some screen plays as well. He's not going to wow you, but he's a guy that is going to be toolsy. can get the job done. And I don't know if he's a Nick Foles type of player or not, but I could see him going to the senior bowl and really uh, kind of turning some heads. Hmm.
2: Okay. One of my uh, wins in our On the Clock segment was fighting for Waddle as that number two uh, receiver. And, you know, I think, you know, to your point, Ben, was uh, he showed a lot more because I think the, the argument you get from people about Waddle is, oh, he's just an athlete and, you know, he can... A returner, make guys miss, that type of thing. But we saw against Missouri that he's a lot more than just an athlete out there. Uh, You saw improved routes, that catch that he made down the field where he took the two big hits after he came down with it was impressive. So this guy's got toughness. Uh, You know, he showed a little more detail as a route runner. And I'm excited to see what we see the rest of the season from him because I think Mac Jones, they had a natural connection there and uh, he, he's just a really good player. So it's uh, I think he definitely deserved that game ball.
0: You know, that catch down the field, I swear that was Devontae Smith. That was such a Devontae Smith type of play. Yeah, you're right. And him going up and getting in aggressive at the catch point. And then I stopped and looked, and it was Waddle. I was like, whoa, I've never seen that from Waddle. So a lot of different things he was showing you. I'm really excited to see what he puts on tape in 2020. Well, and part of it's just opportunity. You know, I they should, were yeah. so
2: stacked at receiver last year, obviously, with Judy and Ruggs, that now he's being asked to do these things and having these targets and so far he hasn't disappointed
1: dan who did you give uh, your game ball to
2: so you know coming into the season uh you know i wrote about this I-, I mentioned it on this podcast you know the chances of us having a joe burrow like ascension uh, from a prospect wasn't going to happen but if there was a quarterback who saw maybe 25 maybe even 50 percent of such a rise kyle trask was going to be that guy and mostly because of the trajectory, uh, when you consider he barely played in high school as Derek King's backup. And then he finally gets on the field for the Gators last year and played well. Now you give him a full off season, finally gets, uh, you know, to be the guy. Uh, he's a clear-cut starter. He's sprinkle in some good coaching, even though I have some gripes with Dan Mullen. Uh, he can coach quarterbacks. We know that. So uh, then you look at the supporting cast with Kyle Pitts and Kadarius Toney and Trevon uh, Grimes. And, I'm buying all the Tresk stock. And based off his performance uh, versus Ole Miss, I'm glad I did because what I love most about him, this is what he showed against the Rebels natural passing skills. He understands touch. He understands trajectory. He understands timing. And he did a really nice job recognizing pressures, understanding where to go with the football. So, uh, to be fair, I, I do think that there's a ceiling on his game. Uh, and I have my concerns about his next level transition. But we saw all the strengths that he has on Saturday, went 30 for 42. 416 yards, six touchdowns, no interceptions. And I know people are going to say, you know, did you see that old mills defense? Uh, but in a season like this where hopefully we get a full season, but we just don't know, every game matters. And Trask put up a pretty impressive performance uh, on Saturday.
0: You know, Dean, when he started that sentiment and said, we weren't sure if we were going to see another Joe Burrow, kind of a lightning in a bottle transfer, I thought we were going to maybe talk about KJ Costello for a second there. And then I forgot about old Kyle Trask down there at Florida.
1: Yeah, Costello uh, had a, obviously a, a crazy, crazy debut. In that My question,
0: Fran, I want to know if Mike Leach said to him what he said to Minshew. Do you want to go be a backup at Alabama or do you want to lead the country in passing? Type, right. of, type of sales pitch to him and right off the bat, 600 yards and looks like he's on his way.
1: I feel like we undersold Co- Costello a little bit, you know. It just it didn't talk about the just the skill set that he showed at Stanford. Because especially early in his career, I liked what I saw from Costello. I mean, we know that that system is what is the engine that puts those numbers up. But obviously, a, a really impressive debut, huge upset win. I'm this just happy to not
0: watch paint dry in that offense anymore. We've already oh. seen the Nick Fitzgerald, the Dak Prescotts, those type of offenses. I'm ready to throw this thing around the yard to some of those athletes, and I know the receivers in that Mississippi stateroom are ready to get the ball too because they've been. Been, uh, starving for some targets for a couple well, years. How about Kylan Hill, who had more catches than he did rush attempts? And I know, Ben, you,
2: you mentioned this a few times, how Kylan Hill could have been could be one of the benefactors of this
0: offense and so far in uh, with one game that was certainly the case and it's part of the scheme you know that's kind of what Mike Leach does in his air raid offense it's kind of a force feed into the backs but also Osiris Mitchell seven for 183 two touchdowns Kylan Hill eight for 155 obviously somebody somebody had to dominate with 600 yards of uh you know passing there so just good to see them uh get some uh some numbers in the pass game I haven't
1: studied those receivers yet, but, you, uh, Dane, you mentioned Shavers, Cyrus Mitchell. I mean, those guys, I mean, they look the part. They look excited to play in this scheme. I'm excited. Uh, I haven't watched a Mississippi State guys. receiver
0: since, like, the Runyo Wilson, like, I know. six years yeah, ago. It's
1: been a while, no question. Um, so, I'm going to go right off of Dane. Uh, my game ball goes to uh, one of the top weapons there for Kyle Trask, and that's the tight end, Kyle Pitts. Eight catches, 170 yards, four touchdowns, and we saw the full gamut. Of your types of receptions here for Kyle Pitts. We saw back shoulders, we saw catch and runs, we saw vertical throws. This guy's detached, he lines up in line. He's not the biggest guy, and he's not gonna be dominant at the point of attack as a blocker, but he's not terrible in those scenarios either. I think you look at Kyle Pitts, and they were they were saying on the broadcast they're they're talking about all oh, like Travis Kelsey and you know and George Kittle and those guys. Like, I even think of like, all right, well, you know, because a lot of people will point to Evan Ingram, and Ingram hasn't quite worked out in the NFL in terms of what that draft status was. But what about Darren Waller, right? Like, in terms of being like a high volume target for an NFL offense and with his athletic gifts, I mean, he was really, really impressive. And not just from an athletic standpoint, but just his ability to play the ball in the air and finish at the catch point. I mean, eight for 170 and four touchdowns. Like, you're catching my attention if you're anybody, much less a tight end in the SEC.
2: That's who DJ compared him to. And I think, yeah, I think it makes a lot of sense uh, because he is 240, maybe 245. And so, doesn't necessarily have that prototypical build for a 6'6 tight end, but man, what a weapon! And with Jamar Chase, you know, opting out now, I think it's between Pitts and Waddle as to the best offensive prospect in the SEC. And those guys, they're going to be duking it out the rest of the season. I, Pitts was number eleven overall in my top fifty board, tight end one, uh, and he certainly didn't disappoint.
1: All right, well, let's go to our one-play takeaway. Uh, one one play that we're going to remember and take with us here moving forward into the pre-draft process. Dane, I'll go to you first for this one.
2: Divine Diablo uh such a, such a great name. Virginia Tech, they were down 23 players this week, down four mm. coaches against NC State, and they still boat raced NC State on Saturday. Uh, jumped out to a quick 10-0 lead, and then mid-first quarter, Divine Diablo uh, made a fantastic interception that gave the Hokies the ball in plus territory. It was man coverage versus a slot receiver, quickly read the out route, uh, drove on the route simultaneously with the receiver, undercut the ball path, made a diving interception. He's not just a great name. Uh, You know, he also has that frame, 6'3", 225 pounds, and he's also a very smart player with the way he can identify routes. He quickly understands what the offense is doing. He'll trust his eyes, so it just it, that really allows him to make plays, and it showed up on that interception.
1: Uh, so for me, and I haven't done Diablo yet. I'm excited to dig dig deeper into his tape. We mentioned earlier he is the uh, one of the official prospects for the Journey to the Draft podcast because he was discovered by our own producer Peter Kelly. But let's move forward to my pick here. And, and I talked about one tight end from the SEC in that Florida Ole Miss game. I'm going to go to the tight end on the other side, and that's Kenny Yaboa from Ole Miss. The transfer from Temple went to Baylor for was there for a couple a month or so, and then transferred once uh, that staff left. I think when you look at Yaboa. I have heard about him ever since he arrived at Temple. I know that that staff was really high on him early. He's received high marks in the past for his blocking and shown flashes as a pass catcher. I'll tell you what, some of the drives late in that game, especially there was one early in the fourth quarter, that offense funneled through Yaboa. He had like three catches, including the touchdown, uh, you know, to, to end the drive. I think when you look at what Lane Kiffin was able to do with Harrison Bryant and kind of make him the focal point of that offense last year at FAU, I wonder if there's a little bit of something in the mix here for Kenny Yeboah. Again, a guy who has previously been known more as a blocker, but he's got some athletic traits. He made a catch on a vertical route. The touchdown was an athletic little catch and run where he dove for the pylon. Uh, I saw some good things from Kenny Yaboa, Ben. I know you tweeted about him over the weekend too.
0: Yeah. He's a fun player, kind of a gadgety H uh, back type. And if the NFL values guys like Josiah DeGuara. I don't see a whole lot of difference in Kenny Yaboa. Similar type of role, ability, perimeter blocking. Not going to blast any defensive ends at the point of attack, but use him in space, use him on the perimeter, use him on the move, and he can make a couple nice catch uh, like he did on that wheel route or he had a nice over-the-shoulder catch uh, for a touchdown last year against ECU maybe. I can't remember, but Hmm. uh, I'll stay on the defensive side of the ball. Dane on another interception. Jabril Cox making his debut for LSU. Uh, coming from North Dakota State and the unfortunate loss to Mississippi State, but he did have a highlight play with a uh, pick six, man coverage against the tight end, had to flip his hips, drive on the ball, undercut the tight end, ran it back 20 yards for a touchdown. I think that's what you expected from Jabril Cox, more of an upside in the pass game, still learning and kind of sifting through his run keys and playing in the box against the run, but He's going to be a great third-down linebacker for NFL teams, and I thought he showed it off right there in man coverage.
1: Dude, you were all over the matchup last, last week when we previewed that game between LSU and Mississippi State. Not only did you talk about Kylan Hill and what he can do as a pass catcher, but you know talking about Jabril Cox and coverage and what – I mean, that was a, a hell of a play uh, on that pick six and his ability to kind of feel that uh, and obviously make the play on the ball and then finish. Really, really impressive stuff from uh Jabril Cox there. The more I was kind of watching that game and just kind of seeing his body type and watching him move around, I kind of got like vibes of like a Darius Leonard, guys. Just the way that he's built, and the way that he moves. I mean, and I know that he's high long grades, and lean, but, Yeah, for him. And
0: those arms hang down to like you know, past oh, you know, obviously past his quads almost to his knees. There, long limb guy, he's tall, has yeah. that kind of tight waist, he moves really well, explosive speed. I'll tell you what, just the fact that he transferred
2: up like he did, uh, like he could have been the big fish in a small pond, stayed at North Dakota State, and still would have been a day two draft pick. He transfers up, and I love his response when asked, well, why, why do that? Why not stay put? He said, well, because then, then I wouldn't get any better. He felt like he did all he could at North Dakota State, and he transferred up to challenge himself, not not worried about draft status, and where he just wanted to get better. And uh, that just... He's going to earn a lot of bonus points for scouts uh, with that alone.
0: But then, yeah, you also watch him play, and he's a pretty darn good player. And, Fran, just to paint the full picture, you see a little Darius Leonard. I actually wrote down Fred Warner, Hmm. similar type of player at BYU, played out in space quite a bit, sometimes detached over slot receivers, just like Cox did at North Dakota State and Warner's really carved out to be a nice will linebacker for the Niners.
1: No question. Uh we'll, we'll be talking a lot about Fred Warner this week on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast uh you know later this week. Uh, obviously the Eagles preparing to take on Warner in the San Francisco 49ers. Let's go to our Down the Road Freak show. Uh a young player not eligible for this draft but just a name to kind of keep uh, stowed away for the future. Dane, we'll uh, go to you start with this one off.
2: I'm going with Henry Too Too. Uh this guy was a top 5 recruit nationally came down to Tennessee and Alabama uh, for for the linebacker. This is a California native, so he was going SEC country. He chose the Vols, and he made an immediate impact last year as a true freshman, was on the SEC All-Freshman team. He had 72 tackles, and he picked up right where he left off uh, this year in Tennessee's opener. He had a pick six, six tackles against South Carolina in the win. The interception was a little bit of a gift. Uh, It was a throw slightly behind Shai Smith that – bounced into his hands. So uh, the interception was a little bit of a gift. But the 32-yard return for a touchdown that he had, that's what really stood out. He trucked uh, Shai Smith and then tightrope the sideline uh, the rest of the way. He's a pretty impressive player. Uh, He shows uh, shed skills, uh, the range, the toughness. Uh, I think he's one of the cornerstones of what Pruitt is trying to build down there in Knoxville. So uh, pretty impressive showing from the true sophomore. I, had, I didn't know much about him. I'd had heard i heard the name, didn't know much
1: about the profile, and I didn't watch the game. So, uh, interesting to see, uh, go back and watch the highlights from that one for sure. Ben, who's your down-the-road freak show here?
0: Yeah, I actually plugged him in last year. I did BYU-Tennessee, and it always pained me to write a 2001 birthday in the prospect notes. He's <laughs> a young kid. He's from the De La Salle powerhouse in California. He's half Samoan, half Tongan. I think that's exactly the mix that you need at linebacker. That's <laughs> what you need. But uh, this kid, uh, I had to look up for UCF over the weekend. This small little receiver, Jalen Robinson, had nine for 160 and two touchdowns against ECU. The week before, it's six for 105 against Georgia Tech. He's 5'9", 163. So we're talking 2-2 Atwell, Hollywood Brown, Deshaun Jackson type of player. Four for four, catching the ball down the field. He's a four-star Oklahoma transfer. This is a big-time athlete that everybody wanted in the country. Ended up transferring, I'm not sure why. Has a couple drop issues, three drops on 21 targets this year. Don't know anything about this kid. Small, fast, electric. I think he's only a sophomore right now. Might be a redshirt sophomore, but he looks like he could boogie. Uh, well, the
1: guy that I went with, and, and Ben, there's a reason why I asked you about Mac Jones earlier. I just wanted to kind of get your thoughts because uh, the guy behind him in quarterback Bryce Young for Alabama, uh, the true freshman, guys, like he, I take don't take this the wrong way, he has like a Kyler Murray level skill set, right? I mean, he's definitely on the shorter side. I mean, they, they said like you know he's probably under five eleven, under five ten on the broadcast, uh, but this kid has got a whip for an arm. Um, you, know, you could see the athleticism. I'm really intrigued to see how long Mac Jones is able to kind of keep him at bay. And if it is for the whole season or, uh, you know, if they do kind of stumble on offense at all, if they decide to go to Bryce young, this kid is gifted. So I'm excited to watch to me. Bryce Young is like, all right, like if it's garbage time for Alabama and you know, like, oh, it's you know they're up by three, you know, uh, thirty points in the fourth quarter. I'm not changing the channel. Like I'm staying put just to see more, get more eyes on Bryce Young. He really caught my eye uh, watching the end of that game against Missouri.
0: Yeah, it's um, kind of funny, Fran. We might not be getting those fourth quarter junk times anymore. You might not be able to play a whole half against Mercer
1: yeah well i mean he needed it against missouri like you know what happens if they play if you know, they play vanderbilt or you know anybody on the lower end of the sec we, we could end up seeing them more so often
2: than not you're saying mac uh, mac jones is destined to transfer after the season as, as a grad transfer and uh, go to
1: oklahoma replace spencer right. radler Rattler has heard, to go. Dane, yeah, that's what yeah, i yeah, heard right. yeah exactly there you go so we, we mentioned spencer radler so of course we have to mention QB1, which you can find uh, on Netflix, Ben. I'll I'll throw that in there for you. Um, Guys, this was was good stuff. Before we wrap things up, though, I got to get to our film room recap. Just a guy that we've studied on film over the last week that's kind of caught our eye. Uh, I'll start things off for this one. And and I'm going to go with a guy that, Dane, I know you were very, very high on. I believe he was your... Number one running back uh, back was. in the summer, uh, yeah, just ahead that, of Etn. Yeah, this is uh Penn State's Journey Brown, and uh, this kid is very, very intriguing, guys. Because uh, you know when you look at the dynamic athlete that he can that he is at five eleven, over two hundred fifteen pounds. Uh, you know this is a player that's really intriguing. He's got electric time speed. Uh, Bruce Feldman had said that he's in the sub 4'3 range uh, when you're talking about him on the stopwatch. I still think at the end of the day he's probably still, and I know that this was written about him that he's trying to, like, kind of get over that precipice of being more football player than track athlete. And I still think at times it's trending the other way. But, man, like, if you, if you get this kid in the right kind of system, um, you know, what he can be as both a runner and as a pass catcher, Really, really impressive. You know, and he, he, He's even a pretty assignment-sounded pass pro, so uh, I wouldn't say that he's a throwaway there either. High, high upside. I'm very interested to watch a little bit more of Journey Brown and see him with another year. Uh, you had said that you were really excited to see him, Dane, with another year of action here in the Big Ten, another year of development well i'm 100 in that boat because you know with what i saw with from him last year as a sophomore where he was basically platooned you know where, yeah. they had a couple of the other young backs and he was not a full-time player i'm excited to see you know what he looks like with another year
2: exactly and then yeah towards the end of last year they finally kind of woke up and were like okay we need to get him more touches and, <laughs> and he became more of the guy down the stretch and yeah you watch him against memphis and the end of the end of the year and he was just clicking and so yeah how, yeah, how does he look catching the ball out of the backfield? How does he look in pass protection? How does he look, you know, with some of the running back specific things going on? I can't wait to see his development this year.
1: Mm. Who's your uh, your guy you want to cover here, here Dane?
2: I went with Tommy Trumbull, uh, tight mm-hmm. end from Notre Dame. So, you know, he's just, he's a guy that needs to be on the radar. Is uh, that number
0: 24, Dane?
2: Yeah, and, and okay. the Irish, obviously, they are always stacked at tight end. You know, they've got a pipeline going to the NFL. 6'4", 250, uh, good routes, uh, good ball skills, but he actually likes blocking more than receiving, and it shows on his tape. He loves to get after it, uh, the competitive toughness, the physicality. He just overwhelms guys out there, and I, I don't know what his final stat line is going to look like uh, at the end of the year, but as a registered sophomore, he, he's going to have an NFL decision to make. He, he's that good uh, of, a, of a combo tight end who can do everything, and he's not going to hurt
0: you out there. Ben, who's uh, who's your name here? So, I actually watched two games of Duke defensively, I'm wanting to watch Chris Rumpf. And really quick, just going to put the full full gamut on Chris Rumpf, still getting mauled at the point of attack in the run game, playing more snaps, got absolutely worked against Notre Dame right tackle Robert Hainsey a couple times on the edge there. But an electric pass rusher, very loose, good spin moves, counter moves, can rush from depth, really good on the backside of run action, like play action boot and chasing the quarterback out and pursuing up the field. Okay. Really fast foot speed. But I came away absolutely gushing about Liam Eckenberger, the left tackle in Notre Dame. I noticed Tommy Tremble, tight end number 24, smashing some guys in the run game. But left tackle against Duke was as good a tape as I've seen literally in a calendar year. I need some other guy's opinion on e- on Eckenberger because he doesn't do anything to give me any concerns. Put on that Duke tape, whether it's against Chris Rump for that kid 51 – uh, help me with his name, Fran. De,
1: uh, Victor Dumakije.
0: Thank you very much. He actually leads college football on sacks right now. Yeah, absolutely. Kind of an interesting uh, two different body types, run yeah, and uh, 51 Shifty one there, but Eckenberg, pass Mirror, quick off the ball, reacting to inside moves, picking up stunts and twists, getting movement in the run game, reaching off the edge, can cut guys on the backside of runs, rarely on the ground. He got beat once or twice with some immediate quickness. Uh, And then really quick, watching Duke defensively against Boston College. Woo, Alec Lindstrom at center is a nasty, nasty mauler for that Boston College offensive line. Not afraid to finish, guys. Two very, very fun tapes. Notre Dame offense against Duke, Boston College offense against Duke.
1: Dude, Lindstrom is such a stud. He's he's really good. He's very, very good. Apparently,
0: player. I just found out he's a host of a podcast as well. So I want really? to see what he's digging into on a week-to-week basis uh, and seeing what he's talking about on a show.
1: Do you think he follows a rundown better than you do?
0: It, he must. You know, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm like a seventh-round undrafted yes, freak. It's a little <laughs> bar. following the rundown.
1: <laughs> well, guys, this was fun. We're going to keep things going here now, though, because it's time now for our next segment. Let's go on the clock.
0: On the clock.
1: All right. Well, let's see how this segment goes here on On the Clock, where uh, (laughs) overall record right now we're keeping score. Dane has two wins. Ben's got one. I have not gotten off the Schneid yet. I have still yet to win one. Even though I felt like I got the debate last week, I still uh, have zero points. C-Mac is here as judge and jury. Uh, Dane, we're going to start start this off, and as I mentioned earlier, we're going to debate who is the best. Pure pass rusher in this class. Now, to g- set the listeners up, I did not say best pure defensive end, the best outside linebacker. All I said was best pure pass rusher. So that being said, cmac is going to uh, be the judge. Dane, you can start pounding the table for who you feel is the best pure pass rusher here in this draft.
2: Well, Fran, I, I have a question for you. Besides Chase Young, do you know who led all of college football in sacks last season?
1: I have an idea. I believe that would be Miami's Greg Rousseau.
2: It was Gregory Rousseau. (laughs) 15 and a half sacks, uh, 6'7", 265 pounds, super long athlete, Uh, looks straight at a central casting with that body type, and he's still growing. Uh, He'll continue to fill out, develop his frame. He uses those long arms uh, to shoot shoot his hands into blockers, work off contact. He can convert speed to power, uh, detach, find the football, There's no question. He's still learning how to untap his power, set up his moves, but it's because he's new to the position. He was mostly a defensive back and a receiver in high school. uh, And he's making that transition. So no, he's not yet to some of his parts, but it's the parts that get you really excited. And and why I think he is the answer to this question. So I'm going to take my chances on a guy who, yeah, he's still figuring things out yet. He managed 15 and a half sacks last year, just due to the natural gifts. So uh, imagine where he's going to be with more experience as he connects the dots. There, there's no Chase Young this year. There's no Bosa, uh, but there is a Rousseau, and uh, it's truly an ascending rusher.
3: You know, first thing I want to start off with, Fran, I, I want to apologize not just to you, but to the fans last week. And certainly, Fran, you were very worthy of winning the debate, and Dane, you know, ob- obviously I selected him, did a great job as well. But the, the reason that I – took a little time to think about and and a little self-reflection so to speak was not not so much the quality of the debate but the fact that Dane complained like a petulant child about not having the first pick beforehand (laughs) and then I went along and picked him anyway so that that's because he knew in his heart
1: of hearts that Patrick Sertan is the best man-to-man quote let's just lay that out he knew but let's say, look, we're, we're moving, so, past. We're moving uh, past it. We're
2: I had to really prepare a little extra harder with my <laughs> argument, and apparently it worked. So, yeah,
3: yeah I had to make you work for it. But I, I, I will say, the one good thing here is with Rousseau. There, the the things you, you sold me on about him there, Dane, the fact that he has the athletic traits and he has production. Because it seems like if you you mentioned there the Chase Youngs, the Boses, the Miles Garrets, all these guys have athletic traits and they have production at the college level. It's rare to not have one or the other making that transition, especially if we're talking about the guy who we think is the best one coming
1: out of college. So so nice nice
3: foundation piece there. Uh, who's, who's number well, two here?
1: Well, let me, let me jump in real quick because okay. I have a question for Dane here. Mm-hmm. Dane, how many of those 15 sacks do you feel are translatable to what, how he will be used in the NFL? Because a large amount of those sacks – and, Ben, I don't know if you've got the numbers in front of you. I don't have the numbers in front of me – Not only did they come off of stunts where they were able to kind of scheme him open, but there were ones where they lined him up as a zero technique over the center. He is not going to be used that way uh, in the NFL, where they basically just said, go ahead, young guy, Just just get after the offensive line. I don't feel he's going to be used that way in the NFL. He took advantage of some weaker ACC offensive linemen in that case. He's not a guy that's got an established pass rush plan. At this stage of his career, you mentioned the untapped power. Not a guy that's going to collapse the pocket despite that length, despite those physical tools. I think it's a a really interesting debate with a guy that some people, uh, you know, Daniel Jeremiah from NFL Networks, thinks he's the best prospect uh, in this draft. There are some people that that don't see him that way. It's going to be a very interesting debate with Gregory Rousseau.
0: I love the sub-package usage. You know, the Houston Texans have no problem putting Whitney Whitney Merciless at the zero technique or the Packers putting Zadarius Smith. I love him playing up and down the D-line. And I think it's the, it's the length that that's
2: when I watched him, that's what really stood out more than any other trait, his ability to use that length so he could detach from blocks, find the football and make plays. So, you know, it's, it's funny because when you put out this question, the best pure pass rusher, it's, that means something different, I think to a lot of different people, Uh, you know, it's just, uh, and so for me, I went with the guy that I thought is going to get to the quarterback uh, that I feel like can get to the quarterback better than anybody else and with his gifts with the natural tools that length i'll put my money on rousseau over anybody else
1: all right well ben uh, you are next up here in this order for this week uh, who, who is your pick here for the top pass rusher in this class
0: well because it means something to everybody else really quick cmac we're talking pure get up in the morning manufactured quarterback hunter this could be the worst run defender in the country But this guy gets up in the morning ready to hunt quarterbacks, and that's Chris Rump II at a Duke. He's 6'3", 230, wildly undersized, wildly inefficient against the run, wildly a part-time player because of that. But let's spin this back to Chase Young like uh, Dana had brought up. Rousseau had more sacks than him, but Chris Rump led the country in win rate and pressure rate last year better than Chase Young. Now, why didn't we hear about that? Because the number of uh, snaps he played didn't qualify. Now, I'm not going to tell you what his win rate was or the pressure rate because that really doesn't mean anything. But this is a guy that showed up against Miami, had 14 pressures, 31 reps. Dominant, dominant pass rusher. Needs to add a lot of weight, but because of that, he's very loose, very flexible. They rush him from all over the place. They'll rush him from the linebacker spot. They'll mug him up against guards and try to isolate him against some bigger offensive linemen. Great in stunts and twists, has counter moves, spin moves, can run the arc an electric, electric pass rusher, not to mention C-Mac. His dad is Chris Rump, outside linebacker coach of the Houston Texans, previously worked with Alabama, Texas, Clemson. So this guy has the technique, has the coaching, has the dad kind of coaching pedigree as well. This guy gets up in the morning and hunts quarterbacks. Going to be a terrible player against the run, but he'll be a third-down quarterback hunter for somebody in the NFL.
3: Love the uh, coming with a different angle on that one. If we're just talking pure pass rusher, because most of these other guys can hold up and do more than their own in the run game as well. So that's why they're going in the top five, if not number one, number two overall in most drafts. So very, very interesting. Any kind of pro comp you could throw out there?
0: Yeah, there's a couple. You know, he's kind of a similar height weight that Cam Wake was coming out of Penn State, but he's not nearly that powerful. I really compare him to a similar player like our own Trent Cole. Coming out of Temple and playing for the Philadelphia Eagles, kind of being an undersized edge rusher, but being very athletic, really good change of direction, can win a variety of ways. I really see that type of player and that type of play profile.
1: Literally the hunter. So, Literally the hunter. Yeah. I, exactly. I thought
0: that I thought Ben did a good job of
1: painting the whole picture there with rump because um, to me, I would say like in, in terms of making that argument, you know, the guys that are going to be able to post those double digit sacks are the guys that are going to be out there all three downs. They've just got more opportunity. But I thought Ben did a good job of, of kind of painting that for, full for more of a recency
0: comp. I guess maybe Harold Landry coming out of Boston College two or three years ago. Similar issues, yep. similar uh, type of production, similar ability.
1: That's a good one there. Uh, all right, so uh, unless anyone else has any thoughts on Chris Rump, I'll jump in with my take here. So, C-Mac, I want you to close your eyes, think of the Pitt football Panthers. All right, so you got those dark blue jerseys, you got the gold, uh, the gold shoulder pads. Okay, defensive lineman, six foot two, two hundred ninety pounds, wearing number ninety-seven. You might think of Aaron Donald, but. There's another guy that was just extremely productive last year, a second team, all American for the pit Panthers last year as a sophomore. And that is defensive tackle Jalen Twyman, 2019. The only defensive tackle in the country with double digit sacks was one of the most productive players returning to school this year before he opted out due to COVID-19. So, I'm going to go back, to kind of with this discussion, C-Mac. I'm going to go back to a Coach's Master Class segment that I did on PhiladelphiaEagles.com with the Eagles defensive line coach, Matt Burke, this summer. And we talked about breaking the art of the pass rush into three phases. Talked about the get-off, the top of the rush, like your hand usage ability to win, and then that ability to close. And to me, I think Jalen Twyman, especially when comparing to all three of the guys we're talking about today, but really with all the guys that we're talking about in this class, I think that he checks the box in all three areas, all right? So you talk about get-off. Jalen Twyman's got outstanding snap anticipation. He's got that initial quickness. The kid flies out of his stats. He's able to win off the ball. Then you get to the second phase, the top of the rush. He's got a few tricks in his bag. He's got a really quick swim move. He's got a double hand swipe that's really effective. He's got that Superman cross chop that everybody in the league is trying to perfect right now. We see Aaron Donald try and do it every single week. DeMarcus Lawrence has kind of patented that move down in Dallas. He's got a push-pull move. He's got a bull rush. But more importantly, C-Mac, at the top of the rush, this kid is smart. He has got a well-developed pass rush plan. That's something, you know, I covet on defensive linemen, especially guys that would be designated as pass rushers. Uh, this guy can uh, – he's got counter moves. He can string together multiple moves better than Rousseau, better than Rumpf. He also looks like he's got a bead on blocking schemes. I talked about this in our ACC preview over the summer. He understands where the offensive line is going to slide pre-snap. He knows how to attack the protection. So I think when you're looking at Jalen Twyman, this is a smart player with initial quickness and the technical refinement you're looking for. And then that third phase, that ability to finish, that is the hardest. That's the one that's a little bit hard to, harder to find than the other two. In my opinion, Jalen Twyman has the ability to close in the backfield. He, number one, And I know, Ben, you love this too. He never loses sight of the football. He has always got his eyes on where the ball is. He's got great eyes for it. And then you've got that ability to finish where you talk about that quickness and change of direction I mentioned earlier, but then you're talking about the balance to navigate through traffic, get into the backfield, and get home. He won from multiple techniques. He lined up everywhere from zero out to the four-eye. He's got a pass rush plan. Certainly, again, more than the other two players I feel like we've discussed today. He's very effective on stunts. He creates sacks for others, so it's not just his production which was very good last year but what he did for others along that pit defensive line a year ago he's violent on contact this guy is an nfl starter in my opinion the best pure pass rusher in this draft
0: are you, an, are you his uncle friend Jeez, what a, what a representation <laughs> <laughs> oh sorry Passionate. to look up the notes here he might be his godfather or his relationship or his uncle four. was no, actually I, parnell I, Mc, uh parnell motley Yeah, Motley from Oklahoma, now Tampa Bay Buc. That's right. C-Mac, I just have one point there. You know, Jalen Twyman had a really impressive 36 pressures last year with those 11 sacks last year. What about his defensive ends? You know who had 62 pressures? His teammate, Patrick Jones. He might not even be the best pass rusher on his own team. Not to mention Jones had 62 pressures on less snaps than Twyman. So nearly doubled up his production on less snaps. I'm not sure Twyman might not be the third best pass rusher on his own defensive line.
1: Ooh. I I see when I watch him though, he, like I said, he creates for others, man. He, with what he's able to do with getting into the backfield and creating opportunities for, for his teammates. To me, Twyman just really, really stood out from a from a technical standpoint uh, and from just his, his FBI as well.
0: Just so the podcast listeners know, Fran's holding up a shirtless picture of Aaron Donald to try to sway Chris <laughs> McPherson right well, now. Just I don't know sure what
3: that would have to do
0: with right I just don't know if the Aaron Donald nostalgia is going to sell, sell the full package here, Fran.
3: I was well done. I, I was going to say, is the check in the mail, or, or is he is he opting out for COVID, and are you getting the the check? Did you already cash yeah, out well, as the agent, or
1: I, I'm cashing that check, and Ben is cashing the uh, the QB one checks every single week. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Got to pay the uh, bills. <laughs> so very very nicely done. I, I what I love about this discussion is that the pass rushers can come in all different shapes and sizes, uh, different styles, different techniques, uh, where they align up along the line of scrimmage. I think I think it's great that it's not like we're just talking about, you know, outside linebackers who could rush the passer or four, three, hand-in-the-dirt defensive ends. It's, you know, they have three different types of players here to choose from. And they're all all very, very tempting. And I know with Dana Rousseau, I think Greg Rousseau seems like like the more traditional one. Uh, I like how Ben came in with the pass rush specialist with Chris Rumpf. Uh, but Fran, to Fran knows – You know, it's sort of like with him and cornerbacks, I know when he he gets excited when you talk about guys who have pass rush plans. Okay, that's like one of his big things when scouting pass rushers. So you have someone with the size, you have someone with production. Again, I think those are the things that, that carry over when you look at top pass rushers in today's game is, do they have the athletic traits? Have they been productive? And it seems like Jalen Twyman checks the boxes. So Fran, I'm going to give you your first one here. I got so, the makeup
1: I, call. All right,
3: you know, <laughs> a little bit, of, little bit of makeup call. So, but none, nonetheless, nonetheless, though, it was a very, very passionate argument. I, I just want, I just want to see fire. That's all I want to say. You know, just, just sell me on these guys. I, I want to, you know, pop in a little Pit Panthers tape now and check out Twyman.
0: C-Mac, this team though you're picking, you're going to have to roll with these guys for the next ten years. So we'll be checking the receipts. That's
3: fine. Oh, yeah. That's perfectly fine. So. It's all good. I'll I'll put it out on Twitter. You can do freezing cold takes
0: on me that all day First long, sack right? of Chris Rumpf next year, right? If it's like week three in the NFL, you're getting a message on Twitter. Like I told Please, you, you're
3: gonna you're, you're gonna send me like mini camp highlights, okay? Uh, you're gonna no, send me like I, look I, at look at him get two hand touch on the quarterback. So something no, for us all to good, all right?
1: something for us to all expect next year, uh, certainly. Well will see, Mac. Thanks again for joining us, Ben. Dane, uh, thanks so much for joining us once again here on the Journey of the Draft podcast. Talk to you guys again soon. Before we continue with this episode, I've got a question for you. Did you know that four years ago, 100 million people did not participate in the general election? That's the same size as the entire U.S. television audience for the Super Bowl. That is an insanely high number, and it's something that we as a nation need to fix. Important decisions that affect each of our lives are made, not just by the presidential election, but by our local elections as well. And if you don't vote, then those decisions that affect you are going to be made by voters who may not share your values, may not share your priorities. So if you don't vote, you give away your power. You give away your voice. It is so easy to get registered to vote, and it's just as easy to double-check on your registration. Do you know how I know that it's that easy? because I just did it over the weekend. All you have to do is text Eagles to 26797, and you can either register to vote, or you can check your registration status. It is super easy, it's really fast, and most of all, it is extremely important. So please, it is all of our civic duty to make sure that all of our voices are heard. Get out and vote on November 3rd.
0: Now it's time to hear from you, the fans, in the draft mailbag.
1: All right, so we're going to kick things off with our draft mailbag. Again, the best way to support this show is to go on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. Leave us a rating, leave us a comment. If you leave it a question, I will answer it here. And our question this week comes from the Scouts Doubt, longtime listener, left a five-star review saying, hey, Fran, I think you've said this before, that Carson Wentz was your second highest quarterback prospect that you had ever graded behind Andrew Luck. My question is, how does Trevor Lawrence grade out compared to your Wentz grade? And that's a great question. Um, So just looking at where I've got Trevor Lawrence right now. I think that obviously it's a little bit of an incomplete evaluation on my end because I still need to do a lot more work, uh, you know, both on the field and off the field on Trevor Lawrence. We have another full season still uh, for him to be able to play. But that being said, just kind of looking back over my rankings and the way that I kind of view players right now, you know, Andrew Luck back in 2012, I thought was as pretty much everything you want uh, from the quarterback position. Carson Wentz, uh, I kind of viewed it in a similar light. And I loved Carson Wentz coming out of North Dakota State, everything, you know, that you saw from a trade standpoint, everything that we knew from him off the field I loved everything about Carson Wentz Joe Burrow actually would be my third you know in that list I loved everything we saw from Joe Burrow obviously a smaller sample size I didn't think that the arm talent was quite what you saw from Luck and Wentz and even with Trevor Lawrence but I mean just you know obviously you can't argue with what the guy did over the course of of last season that last calendar year with LSU and then look I just saw him in week three he really looked the part did an outstanding job in that game against the Eagles in week three at Lincoln Financial Field after that, that's where I would stack Lawrence right now. And again, that could go up, that could go down, um, but that's kind of where I view Trevor Lawrence right now. And then uh, full disclosure, I had Sam Darnold uh, as the fifth, You know, just kind of how I viewed those guys all coming out of college. That's kind of how I see it right now, but we'll see. Trevor Lawrence, extremely physically gifted. I mean, there's not much to say. We, we say this um, you know, a lot when we talk about the elite prospects in this class. The guy's good. He's really talented. He's got an outstanding arm. He's athletic. Uh, he has all the off-field traits. I mean, the guy, the guy has won everywhere he's been from high school to college. Uh, he's what he's got. He's lost like two games in his entire career since his like sophomore year of high school. It's something silly like that. You know, the, the guys are really, really – good prospect. So uh, yeah, that's kind of how I view Trevor Lawrence at this point. But no, good question there from the scouts out. And again, if you got a question, make sure you go leave it on our Apple podcast page or Stitcher. Leave us that rating. Leave us a comment or a question. We'll answer it right here on the show. Great stuff this week from Chris McPherson. Better than usual, maybe because he gave me the W here this week. Uh, great segment from C-Mac. Uh, Dane Brueger, Ben Fennell. Make sure you guys check us out later this week. Ben will be back. We've got uh, another Ben joining the show. A little bit of a teaser for what we've got later this week. Ross Tucker will be back as well. Uh, so excited. To keep things going here on the Journey of the Draft podcast, driven by AAA.